What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know? Pokemon Diamond and Pearl were planned to be the ultimate Pokemon games. To unite Game Freak behind this concept, director Junichi Masuda made a summary outlining the philosophy and attitude he wanted for the new games. In an excerpt published on his blog, Masuda describes the game's world as the world of tomorrow, the world of the distant future, an ideal world, also an ultimate world. Masuda summarized his hopes for the game with two symbols, a diamond as a symbol of love and a pearl as a symbol of happiness. Masuda wanted people from all over the world to come together, and made this a reality with the Global Trade Station. For the first time in the series' history, players were able to trade Pokémon online. Pokémon Diamond and Pearl had many firsts for the series, such as 3D technology. Deciding how to implement 3D visuals took Game Freak a long time, as they wanted to ensure this new approach worked with Pokémon's art style. While the team tried to create the best-looking visuals they could using the hardware, they were also concerned about accessibility. They wanted players to understand the game easily. Like in previous Pokémon games, the overworld was based on tiles so that players can easily navigate the world. Diamond and Pearl were also the first games in the main Pokémon series to use touchscreen inputs. The lower screen's interface was carefully considered and designed to be used without a stylus. The first time Masuda saw Shigeru Miyamoto using a stylus on a prototype DS, he was struck by how unnecessary it seemed. He reasoned that people should only need a stylus in two scenarios, when the screen is too small or when the user needs to manipulate small objects. He felt that touching the screen directly was a lot more intuitive and that it didn't make sense to call it a touch screen otherwise. When he suggested the game be played using the player's finger, Masuda was met with resistance. Game Freak staff feared the screen would become smudged and dirty. Masuda argued that children were unlikely to care how dirty their console was, and that the obsession with cleanliness was a Japanese mindset. He even took pictures of people playing the DS using their fingers. Little by little, Game Freak came around to his way of thinking. Graphically, Takao Uno was unsure about using his thumb to touch the DS's screen at first, but over time, changes to the UI reduced those fears. The options on the lower screen were all color-coded and made extremely large so the player could make selections without taking their eyes off the top screen. The big bold buttons also made it easier for young children to play the games, as they may not have learned to read yet. The fight command was made especially large, with the Pokémon's four moves hidden behind it. The commands were laid out this way so that players would need to move their finger as little as possible when choosing their attack. Another priority for designers was to help attract new people to Pokémon. Nintendo's strategy with the DS was to broaden the console's appeal to include casual gamers. President and CEO of the Pokémon Company, Sunekazu Ishihara, welcomed the approach. He felt that it was a perfect fit for Pokémon, a series designed with younger children in mind. The UI on the lower screen was designed to draw attention and pique the curiosity of people nearby. Masuda imagined the ease of use could draw people closer together. A grandfather may lean over his grandchild's shoulder to touch the screen, and while the child may be annoyed at first, it may create conversation between the two. The Sinnoh region where Diamond and Pearl takes place is based on Hokkaido, the northernmost island of Japan. 
snowy areas were added to make the setting feel more northern than previous generations. The day and night cycle returned from Pokémon Gold, Silver, and Crystal to take advantage of hardware improvements on the DS. The DS has an internal clock and was able to display hundreds of times more colors than the Game Boy Advance, making a night and day cycle a natural fit. One mechanic which Game Freak reconsidered was the physical and special stat split. In the first three generations of Pokémon, all attacks of a certain type were either physical or special. For example, all Fighting-type moves were physical, while all Water-type moves were special. This meant that Pokémon like Gyarados, a Water-type with a high physical attack, was unable to reach its full potential. Diamond and Pearl instead split moves into physical or special categories based on their context. Game Freak's efforts paid off, as the release of Diamond and Pearl saw a surge in popularity of competitive Pokémon. In 2009, the Pokémon company even began hosting the Video Game Championships, a competition that saw champions from a number of local regional events come together to battle. While the games were announced for a 2005 release, Diamond and Pearl were pushed back to a December 2006 launch in Japan. Despite this, the games shipped with a number of bugs, most notably a glitch where the player could surf on certain tiles and clip through the wall and out of bounds. Crafty players discovered that by moving a certain number of steps while out of bounds and then saving and reloading the game, they could spawn on the overworld in places they weren't supposed to. This allowed them to catch certain mythical Pokémon like Darkrai and Shaman, who were supposed to be locked behind a special Nintendo event. These bugs were removed in the international versions of the games. While all of these areas would be made accessible through Nintendo events, the Hall of Origin, where the player could catch Arceus, was not. The Azure Flute, which was needed to access the area, was never distributed. In an interview with Nintendo World Report, Masuda revealed that after the game was complete, he decided the Azure Flute was too confusing for people and kind of hard to understand, and so he chose not to distribute it. Whether he was referring to the flute's mechanics or its in-game context is unclear. Pokémon Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum also received some censorship across the world. The Game Corner was made inaccessible in European and Korean versions of Pokémon Platinum to comply with the new PEGI regulations regarding gambling. And one story in the game titled Sinnoh Folk Story 3 was altered in all regions in English. The book, found in Canalave Library, alludes to the idea that people used to marry Pokémon because the two were so similar. In the Western version, this was altered slightly. Instead of marrying, people and Pokémon were instead very close, and ate together at the same table. Pokémon Diamond and Pearl's localization also contained scattered references toward internet humor and leet-speak, with many characters using words like owned and noob. Translator No Bogusawara was a member of the Something Awful forums and referenced online culture in the games. One of Nob's inclusions can be seen with a painter on Route 208, who names their painting My Pokémon is Fight. This is a reference to My Tank is Fight, a humorous book on Second World War inventions written by Something Awful user Zach Parsons. Diamond and Pearl were already designed to be the ultimate Pokémon games, but Game Freak knew that Platinum had to be stronger. It was decided that Giratina should embody antimatter, as it was a counterpart to the time and space embodied by Dialga and Palkia. Masuda explained to game designer Takeshi Kawachimaru that there was an antimatter world, a paradox of time and space that exists in relation to Dialga and Palkia. He tried to convey his idea by explaining complicated physics concepts and using the image of an upside-down Mount Fuji reflected off a lake surface. While Kawachimaru didn't understand the concept at first, he felt that he was eventually able to capture the idea's essence in the distortion world. Sinnoh's new Pokémon were designed to surprise players. Art director Ken Sugimori was conscious that not every new Pokémon idea was necessarily good. He wanted players to believe that all new creatures were different to the older ones, but that they were all still Pokémon. They were designed to look a little awkward to players at first. Uno drew from his personal experiences, using his everyday life as inspiration. He started his design process by looking at the Sinnoh region and deciding what kind of Pokémon would live there. The strongest Pokémon were designed first, and many Pokémon ideas were suggested by the team to create and maintain a strategic balance. Evolutions were given to Pokémon that looked like they ought to evolve, and also to Pokémon that would make the game more fun if they evolved. For example, Honchkrow is an extension of Murkrow. Honchkrow's broom-like tail and beard-like feathers also invokes witch and wizard imagery as well as crows and ravens. However, some of its appearance and name is reminiscent of a crime boss. In particular, Honchkrow's English name uses the word honcho, which is derived from the Japanese term for squad leader, or boss. In Japan, this reference is flipped, with the Pokémon's name being Don Karasu. This is a combination of Don, the leader of a mafia syndicate, and Karasu, the Japanese word for crow. 
Completely new Pokémon, such as Luxray, may take inspiration from the Tiger, as well as the Lynx or Lion. It may even be based on the constellations of Lynx or Leo, due to Shinx and Luxio having star shapes on their tails. Luxray could draw more inspiration from the Lynx, however. In some European folklore, the Lynx could allegedly see through opaque objects. Luxray also has this ability, which can be compared to X-ray vision, linking in with Luxray's etymology. Luxray's Japanese name, Rentorar, is likely a combination of Rontogen, a unit of exposure to ionizing radiation named after its discoverer, as well as Tora, the Japanese word for tiger, as well as a roar sound. Burmy, Wormadam, and Mothim are all based on the bagworm family of moths. Burmy is based on the moth's earlier pupa stage of development, whereas Wormadam and Mothim are based on developed female and male bagworms respectively. Their unique setup of males and females evolving into different Pokémon was based on the fact that only male bagworms fully mature. The female bagworms are often underdeveloped in their final stages, which often have vestigial wings, legs, and mouths. In hindsight, it's surprising that it wasn't until the Nintendo DS that dual-screen gaming had been all that prevalent. PC players recognized the beauty that multiple displays can bring, but when it came to handhelds or even home console systems, dual screens had essentially been relegated to simple add-ons like the Dreamcast VMU or the Game Boy Advance to GameCube link cable. And there's of course Nintendo's Game & Watch series, which wasn't exactly a blockbuster hit. Due to its success, the DS was able to introduce many of the world's gamers to concepts they'd never seen before, but it also did something else. With it having power comparable to the home consoles of the mid to late 90s, the DS became the home for many remakes and ports of classic titles. Super Mario 64 DS gave the Nintendo 64 Classic new life, with several new mechanics. And Pokémon Heart Gold and Soul Silver let fans revisit an old favorite with updated graphics and modern sensibilities. Thus, we'll be talking about both of these smash hits, along with a number of other great DS titles. Let's start at the beginning with one of the handheld's launch titles, Super Mario 64 DS. An interesting observation can be made before even booting up the game. The title's box art has an often overlooked detail right on the front that differs from the actual game. The design for Princess Peach's castle on the box is different from the in-game castle design. While it's also true that the castle on the original Super Mario 64 box art doesn't match the in-game castle, what can't be said for the N64 version is that the Peach's Castle model on Mario 64 DS's box art is ripped straight from another Mario game entirely. This model featured on the packaging is taken directly from the Mario Circuit stage in Mario Kart Double Dash, and by manipulating Double Dash's camera in an emulator to recreate the same angle, we can see that it's literally the same model, but with different lighting. The Power Star on the box is also from Double Dash, and is simply art for Double Dash's star power-up copy-pasted onto Mario 64 DS's box. This may be due to Double Dash being the most recent Nintendo-developed game in the series to feature the castle before the DS title's release. Just like with Mario 64, not every game released on the DS was original. With the newfound audience of the handheld, the opportunity to give new players access to classic games in one collection became a real possibility. Sonic Classic Collection is one of those packages. Though of course, to throw in what's essentially become a meme at this point, if it's Sonic, it's gotta have something wrong with it. In the original Genesis release of the Sonic games, hitting an item box containing power sneakers would increase the speed of the current stage's music. However, with the DS collection, a higher pitch version of the theme will play instead. This wasn't intentional, of course, but is the result of inaccurate emulation of the game's music. Rather than simply increasing the track's tempo like in the original, the game would increase the actual playback speed of the track, thus raising the pitch in the process. The collection only has four titles within, but it wasn't always meant to have so few games on the cartridge. There had been plans for additional Sonic classics to make their way to the Nintendo handheld, such as Sonic Spinball, Sonic 3D Blast, and even Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. 
These additions were cut partway through the collection's development, however, which is somewhat evident when viewing the game's credits. Here, it's possible to see sprites from Sonic Spinball and 3D Blast, which would otherwise never appear across the games contained within. And if that wasn't enough, an artist who worked on the game, Brooke Luder, added several images from the game's production to their portfolio, showing that all three of these games were planned as playable titles at some point. Again, because of its success, the DS created opportunities for wholly new IP to hit the scene, a rarity when it comes to some companies, with Square Enix standing out to us in particular. That said, The World Ends With You was a surprising smash hit for the DS, combining both unique gameplay mechanics with an interesting story and dual-screen gameplay unlike many titles that came before it. On first announcement, eager fans waited to hear word of an English release for the game. During this time, the title was not known as The World Ends With You, but rather, It's A Wonderful World. This name wound up sticking in Japan, and despite both names being pretty different from one another, they both reflect many of the themes in the game's story. One of the reasons for the game's title change was because It's A Wonderful World may be too close for comfort with the classic 1939 film It's A Wonderful World, having literally the same name. Square Enix found themselves having to ask Western journalists to refer to the game by its Japanese title, Tsuburashiki Kono Sekai, as It's a Wonderful World was already under copyright. Even before its new name was revealed, the company knew they wouldn't be using the same name across both languages. But The World Ends With You was lucky enough to see a Western release at all. One game which didn't get an international release was Nanashi no Game, whose title translates roughly to Nameless Game. This first-person survival horror was impressively thought out, with its recurring themes of Japanese urban legends and horror. But some of these references to Japanese superstition can't truly be appreciated just by playing the game. The main theme of the game, called the Nameless Theme, is exactly 4 minutes and 44 seconds long, something which was likely a very intentional choice, but went entirely unnoticed while playing the game. The number 4 is one of the most infamous superstitions in Eastern cultures, with Japan's tetraphobia spawning from the number 4, and the Japanese word for death sharing the same pronunciation, she and it seems Japanese developers of horror titles are quite the fans of hiding secrets in their games. Possibly the most famous survival horror game, giving the genre its name, was Resident Evil. The DS version of the first Resident Evil, Deadly Silence, has a sly reference in the graveyard. On one headstone beneath the second yawn battle, there's a new angle of the tomb not seen in the game's original release that reads, Lisa Trevor. This references the mutant girl of the same name who first appeared in the GameCube Resident Evil remake in 2002. Despite Deadly Silence releasing about four years after the remake, and the remake now being seen as the go-to version of Resident Evil, Lisa remains absent from the DS release. The DS version's multi-card play is also the first time in the series nearly all canon star's members are playable. It's also the only way to see Kenneth Sullivan, Forrest Speyer, and Richard Atkin without any damage done to them during actual gameplay. The only missing stars members are Brad Vickers, Edward Dewey, and Joseph Frost, most likely because they never actually had character models in the game. Of course, when talking about any Nintendo handheld, it's practically impossible to shy away from the lovable collectathon series that is Pokemon. Just like on the Game Boy Advance, the DS gave us remakes of popular older titles, such as Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. These versions had a few updates, however, and impressively caught a few oversights that many developers often overlook. In these remakes, and whilst in Siam Wood City, if the player has only one Pokemon in their team, and that Pokemon does not know Fly or Surf, a generous trainer in the island's Pokemon Center will give them a level 15 Tentacool, claiming to have caught too many and that they were just about to release it before he noticed your situation. This was added to prevent the player from softlocking the game in Cyan Wood City, as it gives the player a Pokemon that can learn the Surf HM in order to leave. Additionally, it is actually possible for the tentacle given to the player to be shiny, as if they would just release a shiny tentacle for no reason. But it wasn't all just remakes of Pokemon titles on the handheld, of course. We also saw the next iteration of the spin-off Mystery Dungeon series, Explorers of Time and Explorers of Darkness, and their inevitable third iteration as well, which Pokemon always does, so there's no point in even really having to tell you that. 
After joining Wigglytuff's guild in Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Explorers of Sky, the player will unlock the game's second dungeon, Drenched Bluff. If they fail their first two attempts at completing the dungeon, however, at the end of the second day, the player and their partner Pokemon will be summoned by Chattet to the Guildmaster's chamber under the assumption that their Wigglytuff leader is angry about the past two failures. After entering his room, however, a chipper Wigglytuff provides the player with a Reviver Seed, an Auron Berry, and a Max Elixir, and encourages the player to do their best to succeed the next day. Who would expect a Pokemon game to be so incredibly wholesome? Boggles the mind. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Did you know? Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney was originally going to be a detective game about a private eye. The first case would open with him being arrested after the police find a body at his client's office. He'd then take up his own defense after being assigned a useless lawyer. Series creator Shu Takumi decided to drop the detective theme after realizing his concept had little to do with actual detective work. He wanted players to enjoy finding contradictions and taking them apart and felt that the courtroom would be a better setting for the game. Early in production, the development team came up with a number of potential titles for the game. This included Naruhodokan Screaming Trials, Boogie Woogie Innocence, and The Beautiful Verdict. One team member proposed to call the game Let's Raise Hamsters and that it should star hamster protagonist, but in the end, the team settled on Gyakuten Saiban, meaning Turnabout Trial. Development on the game was handled by a seven-person team. At the time, Capcom was trying to train its younger staff by letting them develop new games with small teams and budgets. The game came close to being cancelled after two employees left the company. Luckily, the team was able to get a Resident Evil developer to help them part-time. Initially, the team was going to develop Ace Attorney for the Game Boy Color. However, after being given a preview of the then-unreleased Game Boy Advance, they were so impressed that they decided to produce it for the new hardware instead. The game took 10 months to develop and was released in October 2001, which was six months after the Game Boy Advance's launch. Takumi decided that the first case of Ace Attorney should reveal the murderer from the start so that players could focus on the thrill and excitement of nailing the culprit. This was inspired by shows like Columbo, which focused on how the protagonist catches the villain rather than the mystery of who committed the crime. In Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, there are unused character sprites in the game's data. One of them shows Phoenix Wright with hearts for eyes. This animation was supposedly intended to show Wright's reaction to seeing April May for the first time, but the scene was removed. In the final game, Phoenix first meets her at the Gatewater Hotel. Since this wasn't in the courtroom, there would be no need for the sprite. After development on the first game was completed, Takumi took a vacation. When he returned, he was immediately told that he needed to write the entire script for the sequel before Capcom started production. He had to write five episodes in three and a half months. Takumi thought that this request was completely insane, as not only would this new script be one episode longer than the first game, but last time each episode took over a month to write. However, he managed to hit the deadline, writing 1500 pages of dialogue in three and a half months. Though Takumi wrote five episodes, only four made it into the final game due to a lack of cartridge space. What would have been Justice For All's fourth episode was later incorporated into Trials and Tribulations as Recipe for Turnabout. One background from the case actually references the game it originally came from. In Vitamin Square, you can see a single white dove among the pigeons. This was supposed to make players wonder if it had escaped from Max Galactica, the magician from Justice For All. 
Although it's since become a series tradition to introduce a new prosecutor in every game, Justice for All was originally supposed to feature Edgeworth as the main prosecutor again. According to Takumi, the stories for that title as I originally wrote them all featured Edgeworth as the prosecutor. However, during development of the second game, the first one was released and it became clear that Edgeworth was an extremely popular character. This made me wonder if, given that Edgeworth was supposed to be such a brilliant prosecutor, it wouldn't be rather sad to have him lose case after case to Phoenix. This prompted me to create a new rival prosecutor character in the form of Franziska von Karma. Of course, this meant that I had to rewrite most of the dialogue in the game completely. Edgeworth's popularity also led him to being the protagonist of Ace Attorney Investigations. Originally, the developers wanted to make Emma Sky the main character, but decided to go with the fan favorite. Trials and Tribulations is 2.3 times bigger than the original Game Boy Advance version of Ace Attorney. By that point, the team had figured out various tricks to allow them to store more information on the cartridge. Takumi said that the limitations imposed by the cartridge's small memory actually helped the team to be more creative. When working on the first two games, characters would sometimes appear in multiple cases in order to reduce the amount of data used. Takumi realized that having characters come back could affect the story in interesting ways, inspiring him to create the reoccurring villain Dahlia Hawthorne. In the original Japanese version of the game, Prosecutor Goto is voiced by Hideki Kamiya, the director behind Okami and Bayonetta. According to Takumi, Kamiya worked at a nearby desk and would pester him about doing one of the voices. Originally, Goto was going to drink bourbon and smoke. The team worried that this might be a bad influence on children, so they made him drink coffee instead. When Capcom decided to make a fourth game in the series, Takumi was initially reluctant and felt that the Phoenix Wright trilogy had reached a natural conclusion he decided it'd be best to make the fourth game focus on a new character, especially since new players would be able to use it as an entry point to the series. Capcom agreed to this, but on the condition that Phoenix Wright would still appear in the game. Takumi initially found it difficult to work Phoenix into the story, as he didn't want him to upstage the new protagonist. Apollo Justice's bracelet was originally just a meaningless decoration. However, it looks like it might be important, so the development team eventually linked it to his perceivability. Takumi avoided putting on obvious Japanese elements into the first game, as he knew that it might end up being localized for foreign audiences. However, Capcom didn't start localizing the series until much later, when the first three games were ported to the Nintendo DS. Because there were no plans for localization at the time, Takumi included many references to Japanese culture in the sequels. This caused problems when the English localization team had to translate later installments, as the translation for the first game moved the setting to Los Angeles. Localizer Janet Su said that she thought of the setting as an alternate universe where anti-Japanese laws were never enacted, so immigrants were able to thrive in the USA. This backstory is referenced in the second case of Dual Destinies, when Ninetales Veil vale is described as the product of Japanese immigration. Due to the system being largely aimed at a younger audience in the West, many DS games were altered when brought to the region. In Harvest Moon DS, there are several mini-games within a casino, including blackjack, poker, and a memory game. In Western releases, the word casino was removed from the game's images. This censorship went even further in the European release, with the blackjack and poker mini-games being replaced with the same memory-matching game. This was likely done to keep the game's age rating low in Europe, as the PEGI ratings board is more strict about references to gambling when rating a game. Another small change can be seen in the game's introduction, where the mayor is attacked by the player's dog. Outside of Japan, the screen fades to white as the mayor is attacked. However, the Japanese game has a more gruesome implication, with the screen fading to red. South Korea has a law where the country's citizens aren't allowed to gamble, with a few exceptions, even outside of the country. This law also impacts how video games are localized in the region, with gambling being removed to avoid an adult rating. One such censored game was Mario Party DS. The Korean version of the title was altered in multiple ways. The minigames Chips and Dips, as well as Shuffleboard Showdown, were outright cut due to their strong casino theme. The board Bowser's Pinball Machine was also altered, with the slot machine area being changed to a game where players time button presses to hit an alien ship. A whack-a-mole game was also added in place of the roulette area. Likely because of these laws, Super Mario 64 DS was also censored. The Rec Room area gave access to a whole range of casino and gambling-based games, but was removed from the Korean version. As a result of this, the MIPS rabbits that unlocked the minigames when caught were also cut from the game. 
When Pokemon Diamond and Pearl released in South Korea, they were subject to the same kind of censorship. The slot machines in Veilstone's Game Corner were made non-playable. When Pokemon Platinum was released, the slot machines were still non-playable in Korea, but also became non-playable in the Europe versions too. This censorship carried over to Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver, where every region besides Japan had its slot machines replaced with a new skill-based minigame called Voltorb Flip. Further Pokemon games would remove the game corner altogether. Professor Layton and the Curious Village also had an unusual instance of censorship. The character Jarvis was originally called Guinness in the Japanese game. This was changed in the English version, as the name wasn't simply a reference to an alcoholic drink, but also a multi-billion dollar corporation that could have easily taken the game's developers to court. Another small piece of naming censorship can be found in the DS spiritual successor to Okami, Okami Den. The game's Death Beast enemies were actually named God Beast or Godly Beast enemies in the Japanese version of the game. This was likely changed to remove any inclusion of the word God, particularly in the United States. The WarioWare series has had many regional changes over the course of its history. The franchise's titles are often based in Japanese culture and needed to be altered to make sense to Westerners when the games were brought to North America and Europe. However, not all changes were made just so ideas weren't lost in translation. One example can be seen in WarioWare DIY, where the letters in Mona's Breakdown microgame were altered. A diving swimmer was swapped out for a more covered-up gymnast, and what appears to be a cross-dressing man was also removed from the microgame. WarioWare Touched had some regional censorship as well. In the game's South Korean version, the microgame Sweet Nothings replaced the blushing person being blown in their ear with a cat. This could be due to the character's reaction, who seems vaguely aroused. In the international versions of the Gunslinger microgame, the gun on the top screen was removed. The gun shown in the Japanese game is the Famicom equivalent of the NES Zapper. It's not known why the gun wasn't simply changed to an NES Zapper in the West, but it's likely Nintendo wanted to avoid any illustrations of guns altogether and left the gun out. Interestingly, the gun was added back into the game's Chinese localization. The bizarre dating sim minigame compilation title, Feel the Magic XYXX, was also censored between regions. The changes can be immediately seen on the title screen of the Western releases. While these versions show a silhouetted woman in a bikini, the Japanese game's title screen showed her topless. Although this censorship wasn't applied to Europe, the region decided to give the title a more suggestive name, Project Rub. The dungeon-crawling RPG From the Abyss was also censored in the West. The character Helen had her design altered, which can even be seen on the game's box arts. Helen can be seen on the back of the Japanese box art, but was put front and center for the North American cover. Some fans noticed that Helen's clothes were altered on the American box art to cover up more of her chest. The game's logo also seems to have been strategically placed to hide as much skin as possible. Three more DS games, Luminous Arc 2, Steel Princess, and Super Robot Tyson OG Saga Endless Frontier all had their box arts altered. Luminous Arc 2 and Endless Frontier's box arts were altered to cover up and obscure women's chests, while Steel Princess extended Kukri's dress to cover the top of her legs. Your Brain Coach was actually pulled from store shelves in the United Kingdom after its release. This was due to complaints of the word spastic appearing on screen when players didn't perform well. Interestingly, this same English language version was sold unaltered in Australia, as the word is not considered particularly offensive in the region. Brain Coach was recalled, but another DS game narrowly avoided the same fate. In 2007, one man from Northern Ireland suggested certain words should be removed from Scrabble for the Nintendo DS. Mr. McAdam was playing Scrabble on the DS with his daughter, and they were stuck trying to find the last five-letter anagram in their session. McAdam told Belfast Telegraph, I hit the give up option and the term lesbo appeared on the screen. I nearly fell out of my chair. According to the Chamber's official Scrabble dictionary, lesbo is defined as a derogatory slang short form of lesbian. The rules of Scrabble dictate that if a word is present in the dictionary, it can be used in the game, no matter the meaning. Although Ubisoft didn't recall or censor the game, they did apologize and explain the word's inclusion, saying, in the case of Scrabble 2007, the game uses a word list based on the Chamber's official Scrabble dictionary, and all approved words contained in this dictionary are playable in the game. 
The dictionary includes words used in the English language that may be considered unusual or offensive. It is for this reason that the game includes a junior option, which will prevent the player and computer using these unusual or offensive words in play. However, Lesbo is not considered offensive by the official dictionary, and therefore is playable in both options. This wasn't the only instance where a company was pressured to recall or change their product. In 2009, a news report was published by WPRI's News 10, highlighting a mother's claims that the DS was indoctrinating her children into Islam. The mother purchased baby pals on the DS for her child, and reportedly heard the babies in the game saying, Islam is the light. However, according to a representative from publisher Crave Entertainment, this wasn't the case. The sound bit wasn't recorded by Crave, and actually came from a licensed recording of a baby babbling. This same licensed sample was also used in Fisher-Price's Little Mummy Cuddle and Coo line of dolls, which was also accused of uttering the religious phrase. The Crave representative pointed out that the five-month-old baby being recorded was too young to pronounce the alleged phrase or speak in grammatically correct sentences. Did you know? The idea for Nintendogs started with a virtual pet game named Cabbage for the Nintendo 64 disk drive. Cabbage's mechanics centered around the disk drive's real-time clock, which kept the time of a persistent virtual world. In this world, the player could raise a virtual pet, Tamagotchi-style. The game was being developed by Earthbound's Shigesato Itoi, Pokemon's Tsunekazu Ishihara, and Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto. It was originally scheduled for release in 1998, but was delayed multiple times and ultimately never saw the light of day. In 2006, Miyamoto told IGN, it disappeared, didn't it? However, the conversations and design techniques that popped up when we were making Cabbage are, of course, connected to Nintendogs and other things that we're doing now. Interest in a pet simulation game was revived when Miyamoto and his family bought a dog, which gave him several ideas for game mechanics. Nintendo started experimenting with the concept of a new pet simulation game for the GameCube, but decided that DS's touchscreen functionality, microphone, and Wi-Fi opened up more possibilities for interacting with pets. They originally wanted the player to be able to see how soft and fluffy the dog's coat looked, which was achieved in the GameCube experiment. This couldn't be properly shown in-game until the release of Nintendogs plus Cats on the 3DS, however, due to the limited power of the Nintendo DS. Nintendogs was also planned to be titled Puppy Times in the West. At the start of development, former Nintendo president Satoru Iwata asked the team if they could make 15 versions of the game, one for each breed of dog. His idea was to emulate the feeling of visiting a kennel and picking out your own dog. However, it became evident that debugging so many separate versions of the game would be unrealistic, so the decision to make three games with multiple breeds of dog was implemented instead. While it was technically possible to include 15 dogs in one game, Nintendo went with three versions so that people began playing the second they walked into the video game store simply by the act of choosing their starting dogs. The game's bark Mode also influenced Nintendo to make multiple versions. They wanted players to collect all available breeds across multiple versions by interacting with other players, similar to collecting Pokemon. Speaking of breeds, there are two unused dog breeds in the game's code, Maltese and Papillon. Although Papillon never made it into a Nintendogs game, Maltese was later added to Nintendogs Plus Cats. More dogs were added to the international releases of Nintendogs in order to suit regional preferences, such as Boxers and Dalmatians. Although the dogs in-game seemed to move in a very natural way, the animations weren't done with motion capture. This would have been a hassle to organize and implement, so Nintendo used traditional keyframing while using footage of puppies for reference. Though the game has many strange and entertaining collectible items, producer Hideki Kono revealed that his favorite item was the player-controlled Mario Kart. In an interview with Eurogamer, he said, What's interesting is that depending on the nature of the puppy, some may chase the Mario Kart if they are curious, while others, if they are timid and scared, may try to hide from it. That's very interesting to see. Nintendo originally considered making Nintendogs plus cats for the Wii, but the lack of a microphone meant you'd be unable to speak to your dog. The distance between the Wii Remote and the TV was also an issue. These issues forced Nintendo to pursue development on the Nintendo 3DS instead. The idea to include cats in the series was considered during development of the first game, but Nintendo saw more potential in interacting with puppies than interacting with kittens. Developers wanted to make full use of the DS's microphone, and decided that cats were at a disadvantage when trying to learn tricks. That said, Kono has mentioned that Nintendo experimented with a cat-based pet game while making Nintendogs. The final idea for Nintendogs plus cats came about when Miyamoto bought a cat, and enjoyed watching it interact with his dog. 
Dog. He was reminded of the movie The Incredible Journey that he saw when he was a child. It was a live-action Disney film based on a book simply called The Incredible Journey and followed two dogs and a cat going on an adventure. From his experiences looking after and playing with his cat, Miyamoto decided there weren't enough interesting activities to justify making a game dedicated to raising kittens. This is partly why Nintendo decided to showcase the interaction between dogs and cats instead. Careful consideration was put into the design of the box art for Nintendogs plus cats, with the team deciding to put cats in a smaller font. This would show players from the start that cats are not the main feature of the game, but rather an additional feature to complement the dogs. Early in development, Nintendo tried to make the dogs and cats share the same animations. The team quickly realized how bizarre this made the cats look, as they'd come running in waggling their tails and sit like a dog. The team considered some rather unconventional animals to feature in a sequel to Nintendogs. In an Iwata Asks interview, Kono said there were even ideas for animals like horses and dolphins. Some people said that horses would definitely sell well in Europe. Marketing a game like Nintendogs posed a challenge, as traditional online and print marketing would mostly reach the core gamer audience. Nintendogs was suited for a mass market, so teams around the world got creative when promoting the product. In the UK, Nintendo partnered with the dog food brand Baker's to advertise the game upon its release. Nintendogs was featured on their packaging, and coupons for Baker's dog food were packaged with copies of the game at the UK release in October 2005. Groups of dogs wearing Nintendogs jackets were walked around major cities in an effort to dogvertise the game. Dogvertising was a new way to advertise that put logos, websites, and products on dogs, and seemed to fit the game perfectly. When Nintendogs launched in the UK, Nintendo partnered with Dogs Trust, the UK's largest dog welfare charity. Adrian Berter at Dogs Trust said, It's great that there's a game out there that's not only fun to play, but supports the message that responsible dog ownership means more than giving your dog an occasional stroke. This is not the only charity Nintendogs was associated with. Nintendogs won an award from the animal rights charity PETA in 2006 for being the best animal-friendly video game. This wasn't the game's only positive press either. Psychologist Susan Killiam reviewed the implications of Nintendogs and found that the game can help improve attention spans and motor skills. Killiam also found that the game taught players responsibility, how to bond, and that it even helped to raise self-esteem. It also improved the player's ability to solve problems and think creatively. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To some, the name MapleStory is synonymous with MMORPGs, being a hugely popular free-to-play MMO during the early 2000s. The game, set in the Maple world, involves character creation, 2D platforming, leveling, and of course, interacting with an online community of players. Created by South Korean developers Wizet and published by Nexon, the game had many versions around the world with dedicated servers in South Korea, Japan, North America, Europe, Thailand, China, Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Brazil. The series received a number of spin-offs and adaptations, including multiple versions for mobile devices, a discontinued Facebook game, a trading card game, and even an anime. MapleStory continues to be relevant even to this day, with MapleStory 2 having received a worldwide launch in October of 2018. However, two portable console releases were also created, concentrating heavily on a more single-player-oriented experience, neither of which received English localization. So, today, we'll be looking at MapleStory DS and MapleStory 3DS The Girl of Destiny. We'll start with MapleStory DS. 
MapleStory DS was released in South Korea in 2010 and Japan in 2011. On a first playthrough, the player is able to choose between two classes, a warrior or a thief. Upon completion, the choice of a magician or a bowman are also unlocked. Each class follows their own unique scenarios, with their own stories based upon their classes. The game's primary story involves the world's teleportation portals, used in MapleStory to move between areas. The portals are normally blue and link from one nearby place to another, but during the opening events of the game, they begin to disappear. Red portals have sprung up around the world which link to random places, making moving around the world of Maple almost impossible. As time goes on, the people of the world have become used to these new red portals, but several wizards have grown concerned. As a passage of a story called The Genesis of the World states that, in ancient times, when everything was in the midst of chaos, the goddess began time with her staff. Order was defined, and the human world was created. With this lack of order, perhaps this is the undoing of the Maple World as it has been known. Each character begins with the same prologue but slowly branches out into individual paths for each different class. As opposed to the original Maple Story, in which skills are obtained through leveling up, skills are instead unlocked from skill books. These books can be obtained through both purchasing them in a shop or they are dropped by some monsters. Unlike the PC edition of MapleStory, the player is given a number of additional basic skills to use, such as a dash maneuver from double-tapping a direction, as well as guarding. As the game is a single-player adventure, the player must also save their progress manually. A quick-save feature can also be used from the status menu. AI-controlled partners join throughout the journey, who follow the player's commands. They follow the same movement path as the player, as well as attacking at the same time. One element to MapleStory DS that may surprise many people is the lack of online play. The company decided that, in order to concentrate heavily on a more enjoyable single-player adventure experience on handheld, they would not continue to explore the idea of multiplayer. However, the game does have some interactivity with the PC release of MapleStory, supplying codes which can be used to unlock items in the full PC release. MapleStory The Girl of Destiny was released for the Nintendo 3DS in South Korea in 2013 and Japan in 2014. The game differs significantly in execution compared to both its PC counterpart as well as the handheld predecessor, featuring more fleshed-out animations as well as a unique playable character as opposed to a lightly customized player-created class. The player takes on the role of Mugi, a young red-headed orphan who lives among pandas after her parents died in battle. During the game's introduction, Mugi is told by her martial arts instructor that a scroll containing a secret technique has been stolen, and that the thief must be apprehended by the students. As a reward, they will go up a grade in their training. However, after recovering the scroll, Mugi is attacked by a collective of androids until a mysterious power awakens within her. Mugi is joined by Ramin, another disciple, and the two set off to Herbtown to learn more about the mysterious dark creature that emerged from Mugi's forehead, and to uncover the truth behind the sudden appearance of androids across the world. The player is able to take on a variety of subquests on their journey, with each providing a plethora of rewards. While MapleStory is known for full character customization, this has simply been relegated to equipment within the Girl of Destiny. The variety of equipment can change the player's appearance, such as different armor, headgear, and weapons. Several elements to the Girl of Destiny are clearly improved over the much more rudimentary MapleStory PC and its early DS counterpart. The game features more consistent artwork for character portraits, as well as vastly improved animations and mechanics. The player is capable of running and platforming much more precisely. In fact, the map is built around the ability to perform running jumps to cover larger gaps. The world contains a number of interactive environmental elements that can be used within combat, such as rolling boulders. Rather than saving at specific points, the player is able to save at all times when out of a boss fight. Those save statues can be found which recover all health and MP. Skills are learned from both leveling and are taught to the player throughout the story. The game makes use of both of the system's screens, having gameplay on the top screen and a mini-map available on the bottom screen. This screen can also be changed to display the variety of assigned skills to the game's control pad, as well as two assignable quick-use item slots. Similar to MapleStory DS, three different AI-controlled partners join the player on their adventure. 
Unlike MapleStory DS, after completion, the game simply allows the player to continue completing subquests and explore the world, though without any additional characters or game content unlocked. The team who had worked on these portable titles were not the same staff behind the original PC MapleStory, though as a flagship series for the company, a lot of advice and feedback was passed down. Assistance was provided to round the project out by both Nintendo of Japan and Korea, though how they helped specifically was never stated. It was initially considered to allow for game updates and downloadable content to be developed for MapleStory DS, though this was dropped after consideration of the costs involved as well as the need to keep a team on board for development. With the game's sequel, the team recognized that many players of MapleStory DS never actually completed the title four times, once for each class, and thus not all of the game's story was actually digested by the player. This was why the team decided to create the sequel, with a focus on only a single character. The team considered three possible classes for this character, including a mechanic or hunter, but ultimately chose a battle mage as it was considered to be more popular with the existing player base. There was a rumor in Korea after the release of MapleStory DS that much of the game's popularity and sales figures were directly tied to the inclusion of coupons for items within the PC version of the game. After analyzing the sales figures and usage of these coupon codes, it was revealed that very few players had actually used these coupons. As a result, the concept was dropped for the Girl of Destiny. When asked about the only playable character's gender, Hong Sung Jun, the team leader, simply stated that the character is pretty and cute. It took the team only two years to create the Girl of Destiny, while it took four years to create its predecessor. MapleStory DS was announced during E3 of 2006 and was first demonstrated in 2007 in a joint effort between Nexon and the newly formed Nintendo of Korea. Initially, the game was slated for a release in the same year, though this was not met. With a long wait for news on the title, Nexon announced the release would finally come in 2009 and later January 2010. However, again, this date was missed and the title wouldn't see release until April 15, 2010, the same day as the Nintendo DSi launched in South Korea. Taking this into account, as well as the fact that the Nintendo 3DS was set to launch just one year later in Western territories, the game didn't seem likely to receive an English localization. MapleStory has a fiercely strong following in South Korea, with many continuing to play the original PC release from 2003, with Western territories holding a more cult-nostalgic view of the series. The game was created in partnership with Nintendo as a way to convert the solid PC gaming audience of South Korea to Nintendo's handheld. With this in mind, there wasn't much of a need or interest from publishers on releasing the somewhat niche title to English players. In 2007, Nexon's American division held a Q&A with Gamer Sutra, but stated that they would not answer any questions on the DS iteration, as they were not ready to discuss them at the time. With MapleStory The Girl of Destiny on 3DS, the lack of localization becomes a little more confusing. The game released somewhat early into the 3DS lifecycle in 2013, and is considered by many who play it to be a game which holds up regardless of being under the MapleStory banner. A very rough fan translation of MapleStory DS was created by fans by simply throwing the Japanese version's text files through Google Translate and re-injecting them back into the game. As you can imagine, this results in some very inconsistent, nonsensical, and sometimes even highly offensive lines of dialogue which doesn't even begin to represent what the game is supposed to be about. MapleStory The Girl of Destiny, however, has had a full English fan translation created by Team Maple from the GBA Temp forums, which has seen several revisions to fix problems as well as refinement of files to decrease loading times. The initial release of this translation took the team only seven months to create, meaning that for a full-blown paid release, the work involved would have been minimal to create a title that could be released at retail. In an interview with Nexon, it was revealed that The Girl of Destiny was created as a result of the success of MapleStory DS. However, the Nintendo 3DS simply didn't catch on with the Korean market as the company had hoped. It's most likely that the lack of sales didn't invoke confidence in the game's ability to recoup even the small work that would have been necessary to localize the title internationally. A localization of the original MapleStory on DS would have been a possibility, however, as it had sold over 200,000 copies. But with its incredibly late release date after years of delays, it was always very unlikely to happen. 
Today's episode is a little different. Unlike our usual focus on Japanese and European exclusive titles, in this video we'll be looking at a game released exclusively in North America. Let's take a look at the somewhat lesser known game called Monster Tail. Monster Tail was released in 2011, developed by Dream Rift and published by Majesco for the Nintendo DS. Being published exclusively to American audiences, the game is a somewhat typical Metroidvania, but with several virtual pet mechanics. Monster Tail was the debut title of the newly founded Dream Rift team, made up of staff who had worked on several popular titles before. For example, just prior to Monster Tail, EA's Henry Hatsworth in The Puzzling Adventure. Hatsworth's lead designer, Peter Ong, would be the designer for Monster Tail, leading to several similarities between these titles. The game's story follows a young girl named Ellie, who awakes to a loud sound. She leaves her home and heads towards a nearby forest where she discovers a bracelet which begins to glow. After a bright flash, she finds herself in another world, the Monster World. Here she finds a statue which grants her the ability to fire projectiles from her bracelet. She soon discovers a bizarre egg emblazoned with a swirl. The egg hatches a creature unlike any found on Earth who decides to follow Ellie. She gives it the name Chomp. The world that she finds herself in is going through a tumultuous time, shackled in tyranny. A story in this world, The Monster Tale, claims that a great hero will appear who will rise up and free the land, coming from humble origins and despite being a stranger to this monster world, the hero will fight fiercely for the monsters. While exploring the world, Ellie comes into contact with other humans, who call themselves the Kid Kings. These children have somehow entered the monster world and enslaved the creatures to do their bidding, abusing the ancient tale and standing in the place of the hero who would ultimately come to stop them. These children are Mead, a strong informant of the Kid Kings who rules over the kingdom of Meadland. Back in the human world, he was a normal child, but in the monster world, he can live like a king. Dianu, a somewhat lazy child who loves water, ruling over Dianuford. In the human world, he was always ordered around, but in his new home, he can do as he pleases. Zoe, a child much younger than Ellie, who rules over Zoetopia. Zoe is rather selfish and bratty, and back home, she was never allowed to have toys, as she would always break them. Ethan, ruler of Ethanica, was previously treated as a joke and never taken seriously back home, as all he ever wanted to do was invent and conduct research. And finally, Priscilla, the ruler of all of the Kid Kings, is believed to be the first human ever to come into contact with the monster world. With a holier-than-thou attitude, she often orders others around to do her bidding rather than get her own hands dirty. Monster Tail combines several genres naturally through both standard controls as well as the DS touchscreen. As a Metroidvania, much of the game revolves around exploring a large 2D world with many routes to choose from, and several paths to unlock as the player progresses. The player has direct control over Ellie, who is initially capable of jumping, firing projectiles from her bracelet similar to Mega Man, and not far into the game she becomes capable of performing melee attacks with her tote bag. Her band has a power bar which can be refilled with collectibles, as well as by hitting enemies with a melee attack. As with most games of this genre, Ellie's range of abilities expands with improved attack power and mobility as the player progresses. Assisting Ellie is Chomp. Unlike Ellie, Chomp gains experience and develops when fighting monsters. His abilities are mostly improved through leveling up. While gameplay for Ellie takes place on the DS's top screen, Chomp is able to switch between both screens. The bottom screen is his pet sanctuary, where Ellie is able to provide him with items like toys, books, or food, with each providing the monster with experience points. Items are often obtained by defeating monsters, but to top it off, monsters can be juggled after being defeated. By hitting a dead enemy with melee attacks, additional items can be dropped. Other items can also assist Ellie on the top screen, such as offensive items for backup or health restoratives. Other complications can come into play, such as enemies or puzzles requiring the use of both screens. Chomp will have to deal with these issues on the bottom screen as the player controls Ellie. Chomp can be called from his resting spot in the pet sanctuary at any time, though if his stamina is depleted, he is forced to return. Whilst following Ellie, Chomp will automatically target and attack enemies, or can be instructed by the player to perform special abilities. In total, Chomp can learn 31 different skills, ranging from attacks, defensive maneuvers, healing, or even supplying the player with an additional air jump. 
Each of these skills use a portion of Chomp's stamina. Chomp is able to learn a variety of traits, which can be equipped as a means of increasing Chomp's stats in a variety of ways. These abilities can be learned with each of Chomp's evolutionary forms, which are unlocked based on items he is supplied with and how he has been used to fight. Each new form has its own unique skills and stats, and can be swapped out at any time. As Chomp masters these abilities, he's capable of using them at all times, regardless of which form he is in. These forms also have their own element, fire, water, earth, light, or dark. Forms are broken up into three different categories, child, teenager, and adult, each with ten different forms. Helping Ellie on her journey is Jinx, a monster who provides information on the monster world while also selling upgrades for Ellie and items for Chomp. On co-founded Dream Rift with Ryan Pijai, with Monster Tail being their first game. Work had begun on Monster Tail in late 2009 under the working title of Project Monster. When considering what the title would be, the team decided they wanted to make something which would be innovative, but play to their strengths. With this in mind, the team wanted to use both screens of the DS in a unique manner, feeling that the dual screen feature of the system was largely neglected by developers. In an interview with Nintendo Life, Ong stated, Usually you'll see a second screen on the DS used in a trivial manner, such as an inventory screen or an extended view of the world. We want to explore what it's like when two radically different genres exist on each screen, while attempting to integrate gameplay between screens together in a way we hadn't seen before. The rest of the game just evolved logically out of those initial premises. Ong was inspired in part by the first Monster Rancher release for the PlayStation. More specifically, the emotional attachment towards a player's pet, as well as the variety involved with elements such as items and activities that can be conducted with the monsters. They wanted to expand upon the functionality of activities with the player's pet, having them affect the game in real time. Interestingly, at the time of release, the game's press kit, containing both information and artwork, included multiple Photoshop files that not only contained the character's portraits, but also retained the document's layers. These layers included the artwork that several characters were based on, mostly consisting of portraits from the Japanese-exclusive game Namco Cross Capcom, but also some from Ace Attorney. While we can't get hold of this press kit, several poses are easy to line up. When speaking with Nintendo Power, the developers also revealed that they had pressure from several publishers over the team's choice of protagonist. Peter Ong said, This choice was actually somewhat controversial with some publishers. Our experience is that many publishers are looking to avert the risk of a main character that hasn't been proven to capture large audiences. As a result, there was some concern from publishers that Ellie should change to a male or a more mature-slash-sexy female. Ong also made statements in 2013 regarding piracy on the DS and the potential of it for the 3DS. Ong claimed that many publishers had cited the issue of piracy on the system during discussions, and that it was even given as a specific reason for why they backed away from Monster Tail. The publishers fear that, in a climate where piracy is commonplace, original games and new mechanics are far less likely to be successful than games based on previously successful mechanics, established licenses, sequels, and sports. The game actually features some voice acting, starring the voice of Brina Palencia as Ellie, best known for her voice work as Chopper from One Piece or Mad Moxie from the Borderlands series, as well as Todd Haberkorn, Leah Clark, Monica Rial, Cynthia Kranz, and Tia Ballard. While Monster Tail did well in winning over critics and the audience who had the chance to play the title, it never achieved massive recognition or high sales. With the game's release coming in 2011, very late into the DS lifecycle, its potential audience was mostly moving on from the portable, with much of the DS audience at this time being more casual. The game's release exclusively in the US also limited its scope for an audience. It was announced by Dreamrift in 2015 that Monster Tail would be seeing an updated re-release for the Nintendo 3DS, called Monster Tail Ultimate, boasting orchestrated music, redesigned quests, rebalanced gameplay, and an expanded adventure. However, with no other news coming to light since this initial announcement, and Dreamrift having published no other games since this time, it is unknown whether this game will ever see a release. After Monster Tail, Dreamrift only published one more title, the widely praised, Disney-licensed Epic Mickey Power of Illusion in 2012, one year after Monster Tail. When speaking on piracy with Gamer Sutra, Ong may have revealed where the studio ultimately began to fade into obscurity after their double-barreled release of strong titles. 
Whether or not you should take note of piracy on a Nintendo 3DS as a serious issue depends on who you are. If you wish upon yourself, and all other 3DS gamers, a market flooded with uninspired licensed sequels sports games over original ideas and mechanics, then by all means there's nothing to worry about. There are so many things that are unique about the 3DS. It's a handheld gaming machine that's dedicated to playing games first and foremost, and offers a home for passionate world-class studios that aren't so small as a garage operation, but aren't 100 plus person juggernauts. As for myself, I'm definitely taking notice because the day that I have no option but to make a sports game is the day that I must look for a new profession. If piracy becomes prevalent on the 3DS, it will affect Dream Rift's efforts on 3DS detrimentally. Did you also know that actress Catherine Beaumont, who voiced Alice in Alice in Wonderland at age 13, reprised her role in Kingdom Hearts over 50 years later at the age of 64? Or that there's many PlayStation 2 games that the West never got? For a whole hour of PS2 facts, check out the video on screen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.